Hello and welcome to part two of the European Football Show on the World Football Index's special on Hungarian football to mark Ferenc Farage's return to the Champions League after 25 year absence. In part one, we spoke with Jonathan Wilson about the history of Hungarian football um, from its roots up to the modern day. And today we'll be speaking with, with Thomas Mortimer, a Hungarian football expert based in the UK, um, about the contemporary Hungarian football scene and what has made Ferenc Baric so successful in their exploits. Uh, welcome to the show, Thomas, it's great to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. No worries, no worries at all. Um, so I guess if you could begin with the most recent exploits of Ferenc Baric in the Champions League group stage qualification. So obviously they grew, grabbed the headlines after reaching the group stages after a 25 year absence. Their last appearance was in 1995, 1996. So what was the qualification phase like for them? Who did they begin against and how did they uh, progress through the rounds? Yeah, so it's kind of weird and it was a very tough campaign because they actually, in the first three rounds, got the toughest team they could actually play um, in each round. So in the, in the first round, they were actually seeded because they qualified for the Europa League last year um, and played the Swedish champion, Djurgården, and they won in not a massively convincing manner. It was one of the first games back from uh, at the start of the new season. Um, so I guess teams are a little bit um, rusty at, at that period. Um, and they, they, I think the week before, they put up a really unimpressive display against the newly promoted side in, in the league. And after that win, which they won 2-0 against the Swedish champion, which is is no mean feat, I guess, um, for a team from Hungary. Um, there weren't very high expectations, I guess. Um, the season before in the Europa League, they did perform really well, got a couple of great results against Espanyol um, and then beat Suska Moscow as well. And then, yeah, beat Djurgården in the, in the early stages of the Champions League and then got drawn in the second round against the toughest team in terms of seeding, um, which was Celtic. And yeah, going into that one, they kind of, French Ross needed to really play to their top and utmost really to, to stand any chance. And they probably did. They probably couldn't have played much better, really. Um, I think Celtic probably underestimated them. They probably never heard of this team that they were playing. Um, probably looked at their previous history and it wasn't too impressive in Champions League qualifying. Uh, and obviously, the, the fact that there was no fans at Celtic Park would have played a massive difference as well. But I guess it's the same for both teams. French Royals were playing a one-leg away tie, which isn't particularly helpful either. And yeah, got an in- incredible result. Um, probably Hungary's biggest in club football in in at least 10 years. Um maybe going back as far as Ferenc Faros's last participation in the Champions League, which is in 1995. An amazing 2-1 win. Um, Tokmak scored um, a beautiful individual goal um, with about half an hour to go. And they kind of held on reasonably comfortably against against the obviously impressive Celtic team. Uh, and then, again, getting the toughest team in the draw drawing Dynamo Zagreb, who've won the league like untold number of times in a row in Croatia, been in Champions League a lot down the years. Um, and a team that actually battered um, Ferenc Varos last season um, in Champions League qualifying. So it was kind of 
I guess a revenge mission and a game which obviously the the Frodi fans um, and the Hungarian fans kind of saw as as a real tough one. And again, they were mightily impressive, probably more deserving of the win um, against Dynamo Zagreb than they were against Celtic. Uh, against Celtic, they rode their luck a little bit and were very back to the walls. Whereas against Dynamo Zagreb, they were arguably the better team, which which shows how far in a year that they've come. Um, in, in qualifying last year, as I intimated, they got battered by Dynamo Zagreb 4-0 at home. And a year on ended up beating them two one and deservedly so. And then and then came an easier fixture um after Dynamo Zagreb, a team who weren't actually the toughest that Ferenc Farage could have gotten, but still tough. Obviously it's the last playoff round for a team from Hungary to get this far. Any game is going to be tough. And it was the Norwegian champion in Molder who they played. And after going two 0 up in the away leg Ferenc Faros let that lead go and it ended up being 3-2 down with five minutes to go. Got a favourable penalty, um, which they slotted away through Karatin and then held on for a 3-3 draw and then at home got a nil-nil, very nervy last 20-minute hanging on um, victory against a very unimpressive Molder team. Let's uh, let me be straight with that. I think they finished sixth or fifth in the Norwegian league. They were very conservative, even in the second leg when they needed a goal. Um, they weren't particularly impressive. Um, so it was, it was very, very amazing campaign to beat Celtic, Dynamo Zagreb. And then there was a couple of uninspiring victories over Molder and Djurgården, but no one in Hungary or no Ferenc Varaj fan will, will care one bit. Yes, definitely quite a remarkable qualification phase, and it shows how you know competitive it is to even qualify for the Champions League uh, proper. Uh, never mind compete in the Champions League proper. But what was the reaction in Hungary to their qualification? Because obviously Hungary, Hungary is a very proud football history that we went into in part one. Um, was it kind of like a, a vindication of their history, or was it maybe a surprise, or was it a sign things progressing? What was the kind of primary uh, reaction from both fans and the press? Yeah, like you say, it is really, really tough for a Hungarian team to qualify. Um, and it's the first time that a Hungarian team's qualified for the Champions League since, um, since Debrecen in 2009. So kind of these kind of, these victories, these successes don't come around very often. And obviously, if you're from a big, big nation, this doesn't even seem like a success. You, you're just qualifying for the Champions League. You're probably going to get battered when you get into it. But this is huge. Um, it's huge for the country. And politically, it's actually huge. And it's huge vindication for um, Viktor Orban, um, the semi-dictatorial prime minister and his football first in quotation marks policy which he's kind of instilled in in Hungarian society um Orban it's not um libelous for me to say that he uses EU funds to hmm, kind of um money launder those funds through football um and he does that by creating new stadiums and then hands it handing out governmental contracts um governmental construction contracts to those to his 
pals and his mates with EU funds and that money gets laundered back into the party and to to his pals to keep certain strong men um, close by to him a little bit as a little bit how kind of Putin works with his oligarchy system um, in Russia Orban kind of is a is a Putin light in that respect um, so it's huge vindication for him he's got he's received a lot of flack for his lavish spending on Hungarian football down the years um, and lavish spending is is the correct term he spent this spent loads of money. Ferenc Varos have got a beautiful new stadium. Um, if, if anyone's ever been, you, you'll know it's beautiful. It's kind of, it, I guess, inside looks like a very standard modern stadium, but from the outside, it's beautiful. It, it's when it lights up green, it, it, it's a real, a real sight. And and um, it's remarkable. Yeah, I've seen images of the fans gathering around outside yeah. for the uh, the crucial games, and it really is a stunning stadium. Like it's. Yeah, massively. And especially for a country like Hungary, like I guess in England or whatever, they're kind of ten a penny, these stadiums. But in Hungary, we had kind of the old Soviet stadiums, the the kind of stadiums that you'll see around the, the whole Soviet bloc in Bulgaria, Serbia, those the, the kind of round stadiums with no roof. They were kind of the standard in Hungarian football. So we, you kind of get these this stadium and it's, it's, it's even more mind-blowing. And that's not just popped up at France. Well, as you've, you've seen Pushkash Academia, which is actually Orban's team. It's, it's the team that was set up in his village. And that stadium um, blows the Venezuela Stadium even out of the water. It's absolutely beautiful. It's probably the, arguably the most beautiful stadium in, in the whole of Europe. I'm not even uh, being hyperbolic with that. Yeah, it's more more a cathedral than a stadium, isn't it? It's kind of remarkable because it only holds kind of a small capacity of it, maybe 5,000 or something. But uh, I think that's it's more than the uh, population of the town. And the majority of the actual structure is based on like this d- designed architecture. It's, it's remarkable, you know, definitely. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it really is. Yeah, I think double the population of the, the, the village. The village itself is like tiny as well. Um, like obviously in terms of population, it's tiny, but if you just walk around, there's <laughs> there's like one street and that's kind of it. There's like one hotel. I can remember going there. The first time I went there, they were kind of just looking at me like, what is this foreigner even doing here? Like they just couldn't believe it. There was They're like really welcoming, um, but they were just like, I can't believe like you've actually come to Feldshut. Um But yeah, and, and I definitely encourage anyone to get there, to go if, if they ever went to Budapest or uh, to Hungary. It's, it is, it's really worth it, worth a look. Um, and then there's, then not just the two outliers, there's Honved, they've got a new stadium, Vosshosh, they've got a new stadium, Debrecen, they've got a new stadium, Mezokovic, they've got a new stadium, Kishwar, they've got a new stadium, Entekar, they've got a new stadium, Seged, they've got a new stadium. Um, I'm sure I've missed out about five or six, but they've all got new stadiums within the past five years. And it's just crazy because, like I say, they're 10 a penny in England, but when Hungary, which isn't the richest country in the world, is is like creating all these new stadiums, it's, it's kind of mad, really. And that's not the only thing that, that the money's being spent on. It's being spent on new academies. So Pushkash Academia, as kind of the name suggests, they are an academy, so they've spent a lot on their academy system Ferenc Varos has spent a lot of the, on their academy system Vosho has spent a lot on their academy system and then the wages in the league have also increased massively like Hungary 
is arguably the the richest league in the region. It's it's at least at least very close. I'd probably say it is now actually um, in terms of average um, throughout the whole league in terms of the region, and that's kind of reflective of Ferencváros's recent success really because until very recently um Ferenc Ross um were never really getting through qualification rounds they were losing in the first round they were losing in the second round they had a good team but they've upped that now and last season yeah they did lose 4-0 to Dynamo Zagreb in, in qualification but like I said they qualified for the Europa League and um and, and did really well there too and then this season it isn't a coincidence that this just happened it isn't it isn't luck that's caused this this is continued it's kind of come about after after a few years of of spending lavishly yeah i think it's impossible to separate um victor orban from ferenc varish's success and especially any discourse around their success there's actually a great long read in in the guardian from last year about his hometown club and how he built uh, their stadium and how he put money into their club and all that kind of stuff. Um, but one of the tidbits in the article is that he kind of views football as this like perfect balance between organization and discipline and individual expression and how that functions in a, in a collective, um, which you can take whatever you uh, want from that and apply that to his vision of Hungarian society. But also there was an interesting uh, topic in it that when he was in university, he played in a five-a-side team. And several of the five-a-side team are key advisors today, and they still play five-a-side football together anyway. So he's definitely a football obsessive, and he, it's definitely very important in how he envisions um, his idea of Hungarian society. Yeah, I think um, um, I think he also uses like the the nationalist side of football to his advantage as well, because I guess Euro two twenty sixteen is probably a good example. It it kind of reignited a a true belief and a pride I guess in in the country and I think obviously Orban is very nationalist at heart and he he taps into that national fervor when whenever possible and, and what better way to do that is than the, the the main sport in the world which put which showcases your country in front of billions of people around the world Ferenc Ferros is, isn't, isn't going to do that with the Champions League but it's, it is going to do it to a certain extent and that is just a, a, a single success. You, you get that at club level, you get that at national level, and you are creating a national fervor. And I think you make a good point about that article. It's really, it's really, really good. I urge anyone to check that out. Um, there's a great line about um, the his wife not being happy because the um, the view's been uh, now tainted i think by the national stadium whereas i think she used to look out over fields from a bathroom or something something ridiculous like that i think that's how close the uh, the stadium is to his house yeah what like how what's the fan culture in hungary like at the moment like is it being kind of because obviously there's a, a shift to the right uh, generally in hungarian society and in hungarian political discourse but is that reflected in the fan culture and the ultra culture or is there a kind of a resistance or what's the kind of contemporary feeling there? Yeah. So it's interesting because the fan culture has always been very far to the right. Um, it's almost that the culture of the country is maybe going more towards them than though the fans going further to the right, if that makes sense. Um, the, all the main clubs 
almost every club in the country, their fan culture is very right-wing. Ferenc Farash are known as being very right-wing themselves. It's actually, I think they're the only club where it's actually changing a little bit. And I think that's just because they're such a big club in the country. I think in, for a lot of the other clubs who are in Hungary, they don't really have a massive fan culture. It's kind of a, a core of ultras, and then that's basically it. So that's why there's such a, a that's why Hungary's so such a poorly attended league, really, because like the teams like your Honved, your Oyapest, uh, your Joy, your Holodosh, uh, Debrecen, um, they all kind of have a thousand or two thousand ultras, and then no one else really goes. And those kind of main ultra groups are all right wing, and especially Oyapest and Honved you will see racism quite commonplace. Budapest especially commonplace. It's horrible. Really? I would imagine Budapest would have been the more liberal of the city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100% is the more liberal. It's the most liberal city in Hungary. But the liberal people don't go to see Budapest. Uh, they do to see Ferenc Varos. And, uh, and um, in the main ultra group that uh, racism and nationalism exists... But within the kind of Ferenc Varos are the only team really who don't have who have fans who go in large numbers who aren't ultras as well in large numbers. Obviously, hangers on who goes to Honved or Yepes, but in large numbers, Ferenc Varos do have kind of a more liberal fan base in that respect. It's kind of the main core. The Ferenc Varos uh, fans are a hundred. Uh, they are as nationalist as it comes, and that is reflective of Oyapest, like I say, and Honved too. Um, where you, even the stewards at Honved, you'll see with white power tattoos, and it's that bad. It's like a, a black player does something uh, contentious. I don't know. He, he goes down easily. Yeah, you you'll probably hear a, a, a monkey chant from a few people or your pest and Honved. At Ferenc Varos, you actually won't anymore. It's very unlikely. Um, they've really cleaned that up, actually, um, which is all credit to them, especially from kind of, which is almost uh, what you wouldn't expect maybe from a right-wing government who have played a big part in uh, eradicating this um, racism as well because Gabor Kubatov, who is the, the Ferenc Varos chairman and owner, he is a, a Orban ally, and he's actually done a very, really, really good job of of stamping this out. They actually introduced vein scanners to to the stadium, which went down like a lead balloon, and all the ultras boycotted for years over it. Um, I think it was about two years they boycotted. It's featured also in the the, the Copa ninety derby days for Ferenc Varos. Yes, and stuff. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. They weren't actually at that game, were they? In the in the documentary. No, yeah. Yeah, they weren't. They were. Uh, I think Eli spoke to them. Eli mentioned the host, but um, mm. it was outside the ground. They weren't. They were. They weren't going to the ground because of that specific uh, blood scanning measure. Yeah, yeah, and and that measure was introduced to eradicate the hooliganism and the racism which existed within within the fan culture at Ferenc Forest at the time, uh, which is which is amazing. Like. It went down like a lead balloon and almost every Hungarian football fan you speak to would say, it's a disgrace, what are they doing? And and yeah, I mean, obviously in terms of a a privacy issue and like you don't want the government to know you like to have that access to your your details really because that's 
that's what the main issue was and especially kind of the hooligans thought like what are they going to be using this for like what like are they going to be using it for like no one's particularly trustful of the government especially 30 years after communism like the distrust in government is is not particularly high in in the eastern bloc and in in places like hungary former former communist state so yeah the, the 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 fear was obviously there but ultimately it did its job and 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 Ferenc Farosh's fan culture has to a large part changed maybe like it hasn't at its heart i'm sure racists and white nationalists exist within in the ultra group still but and and Actually, one of their players, Tokmak, um, who is he's arguably their, their star man, he is hilariously uh, scored a goal against, I think, Pushkash last season, um, revealed a shirt justice for George Floyd under it. And then that went down horrendously, like, because obviously it would, because the, the, the fan culture is, is white nationalist and, and very right wing. And after that, there was a backlash from the French Forest fans. They didn't, didn't particularly whistle Tokmak and they've kind of forgiven him, I guess, in inverted commas. But you saw White Lives Matter banners at games. You still see White Lives banners at games within Hungary, not Ferenc Forest, to be fair. And then you also saw Green Aryan, which is a former ultra group who used to be at a lot of games. I mean, they probably still are at a lot of French Forest games they don't take the flag and they took that flag to two games in a row so it obviously still exists they're just better at hiding it than the other clubs in Hungary like Jorjepes and Johanved who don't give a shit they just um, deal with it like it's like it's nothing yeah no I understand it's definitely a kind of a, a hard issue to consider really isn't it because it's so intertwined with societal problems and all that um, but the like, Varash on the pitch their team is quite international isn't it like I mean the team that starting 11s that carried them through the Champions League group stage qualification were quite diverse I think the coach uh, Serhi Rebrov joked that they're like the United Nations they have so many nationalities um, what job has he done since taking over in 2018 and how has he developed the team to the point where they're able to qualify for the group stages um, what kind of system does he play uh, what formation does he play? Uh, who are the key men? Yeah, so I think what mainly he's brought to the um, to the team is is a kind of a steal. Um, they were always a very good side in Hungarian terms under Thomas Dahl, who was the former manager. Who who was a decent manager himself. He was he was manager of Dortmund actually for a season not too long ago. I think two thousand and seven ish, and managed Hamburg before that. Uh, so obviously uh, the former manager had a had a good rep as well um and then Rebrov came in and yeah he's kind of just changed the mentality more than anything Ferenc Varos were a team who were winning leagues and then going out of the Champions League at the earliest stage which is not what is expected of of them from the fans and from and the board especially after lavish spending and They've, I mean, I guess under Rebrov, they're not particularly played the best football. They're just the best team by a mile in the league. So um, they have the best players. They don't particularly play a, a thrilling, exciting game. They're kind of very attritional, maybe is the right word. Um, they're kind of very business-like. 
very similar to kind of his mentalities. He's kind of a no frills kind of guy on the sideline. He's very steely. He's very cold blooded, I guess. And I guess a team in a lot of a lot of teams mirrored their manager, and and that is definitely the case here. And and that steel was really like translated onto the international stage, which was kind of the major thing that Ferenc Varas wanted. Um, in terms of the league, um, there's kind of only one real competitor, and that's Vidi, who are known as Fervar now. They qualified for the Europa League. Um, they've qualified a couple of times. They played Chelsea two years ago, got a, got a decent draw against them at home. And they're a very good side. But as Ferenc Faros have kind of spent more and more, they've been able to, unable to kind of compete. Uh, Vidi have kind of been able to, unable to compete. So the, the, the league is kind of taken as red these days. Thomas Dole didn't particularly win it every year, but Rebrov in his two years so far has, has won it with ease um, and yeah in Europe they've been super impressive Frodi kind of had a really weak mentality um, in Europe and even even against like they played um, the Albanian runners up who only qualified for the Champions League because of um, match fix and scandal in Albania and ended up going out in the first round on the dole and like that just wouldn't really happen on the Verbrov because they they're so they're so strong defensively now and and like just in the mind I think and which is a really a tough thing to instill into any team um, and I think that's kind of just what they are like that that they. they I guess his experience of being such a great footballer himself and his experience of taking Dynamo Kiev to the to the last 16 when he was manager there of the Champions League as well is just kind of brushing off on the players. Um, it kind of the system that he plays is kind of either a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1 um, depending on the level of the opposition, I guess. Usually with inside forwards, um, rather than out and out wingers. So Top Mac, who I spoke about with the justice for George Floyd guy, he he plays on the left, the right footed, um, super agile, really good at taking on players, a really, really good dribbler with the football. Um, I guess his end product isn't amazing, but you wouldn't expect that if he's such a good dribbler from someone who's playing in Hungary or who'd be playing in a different league. And then on, on the right hand side, you've either got a Zuni Who's, who's recently come in from Croatia, but he's Albanian, or Zorbkov, who was kind of Frodi's best player last season, who's a, a left footer who, who plays on the right, who, again, I think those Totmak and Zorbkov are probably the best two players that Frodi have. And and it's usually usually Bolly, who is the main striker, or or you've got Isael sometimes plays there. Um, he's not really a striker, but I think you'll probably see him more um, in the Champions League as he's kind of like a false nine, um, especially if Frodi are going to be backed against the wall, which they will be against every team they play. <laughs> yeah, no, it's definitely interesting to see how they get on um, because they have quite a European pedigree. I mean, like, they're the most popular club in Hungary and they've played in Hungary's top flight for all but three seasons since they were founded in 1901, which was between 2006 and 2009. Um, but in Europe, say, for instance, they've... Won the 1965 Intercity Ferris Cup, where they beat UA 1-0 in Turin, and then lost to Leeds in the final three years later. Um, and they also lost to Dynamo Kiev in the 1975 European Cup Winners' Cup. Um, but just how big are 
uh, Ferenc Varosh in Hungary and in that part of Europe in general? Like how how heavy is their cultural weight and how significant are they to Hungarian football? Um, in terms of Hungarian football, they are no doubt the biggest club um, in the league. Um, so so much more widely supported than than anyone else in the league. Historically speaking, I'd probably say more people, uh, especially in Western Western Europe and probably around the world, know Honved more just because of their um, their affinity to um, the golden team, the Mighty Magyars. Um, pretty much all the best players um, in the Mighty Magyar team were at Honved at the time. But Ferenc Varos, in, in terms of Hungarian culture, I think mainly because of their fan base, um, uh, kind of being polar opposite to the communist regime, were and are the biggest club by a mile. And then just after like communism falls, Ferenc Varos make the Champions League, it kind of just even elevated them to another level. They've always been the most successful team. MT Car are the only team who really rival them in that respect. And MT Car aren't loved. They're actually probably the only team who, only club, sorry, who don't have um, a right wing fan base, at least out of the top teams. Um, and that's because their kind of culture is very Jewish. And as as I guess you would expect, the right wingers don't particularly like them because of it. And like, there's no, there's no kind of relation to to Judaism and, and Jewishness at all in MTKR anymore. But obviously, the inverted commas stigma kind of sticks with with MTKR because of that. And and hey ho, you get a, you kind of have a nicer fan base because of the people that actually support them. Um, but yeah, so no one really supports MTKR because of that. Yeah, in inverted commas stigma and so they kind of support the other big successful team which is Ferenc Farage um, how big are they in the region I, I wouldn't say they're particularly massive I, I think there's there's too many big teams in the region who uh, uh, kind of take that um, really you've got your partisan Belgrades your Red Star Belgrades your Stal Bucharest who are all have kind of all done bigger things in Europe um, and they all are from, I guess, uh, when in terms of your Red Star and Partizan have been big in um, Yugoslavia and I guess with um, Dynamo Zagreb. So in terms of all those former Yugoslavian states, those teams are going to be the biggest really in the region. Uh, and then with Stahl, they won the Champions League not uh, European Cup not that long ago, so they are kind of seen as a as a big uh, a bigger team. Ferenc Varos are maybe of that step below. I would say you probably like you Suska Sofia and and maybe Levski and um, Legio Warsaw in in the region probably. In terms of like fan culture though, because of their right wing roots and their right wing heart in in their fan culture, they are quite big. Um, they have a few kind of local affinities. Um, so Rapid Vienna, for example, are, are one of, are a, a, a friendly ultra group of Ferenc Varos. Um, and obviously um, Austria is just over the border of Hungary. So um, those fans meet up quite a lot and go to each other's games and stuff. And and Polish slide, 
I don't 100% know if this is correct. So I think it's Slask Rocklaw, who are also a, a friendly fan group, but I'm not 100% sure if that is true. It's a, a Polish team uh, definitely are are big uh, friends with Ferenc Varosh as well. You mean they actually, like the Rapid Vienna fans actually go to Ferenc Varosh games and vice versa to kind of lend force and strength, basically. Yeah, even more than that, like Rapid Vienna and Ferenc Varosh have both like done TIFOs for each other um, at their games. Like just, it looks like, I guess, random. So like out of nowhere, you'll go to a game a rapid Vienna game and you'll see like a Venice Farosh um, logo in the in the TIFO I think it was like three years ago was probably the latest one we've saw one of those um, yeah and I think it's Slask but I'm not 100% sure there's a Russian team who are also friends with Ferenc Farosh as well but I can't remember who they are either well I can imagine how those kind of relationships are brokered you know like who's the like how the friendships made I don't know yeah so, exactly but for like in terms of like Polish and Hungarian like relations, um, Polish fans sing like Ria Ria Hungaria at their home games, and um, you'll see like Polish fans at a lot of Hungary away games, and and vice versa too. Like you sometimes hear like a Polska shout uh, chant from the Hungarian fans at like Hungary versus Holland or whatever. Yeah, it's really random, but um, it's quite cool in its own way. Do you think that there's any opportunity, and this is pure speculation, but like say kind of a united league in that region? Like say as football kind of, as the domestic leagues become more and more uncompetitive, you could say, is there any opportunity you think in the future where say parts of Europe could kind of, you know, come together and build kind of a super league almost with the biggest clubs? Yeah, I think it has been spoken about. uh, I mean, I don't know in any official capacity yet. I think maybe actually was in an official capacity like three years ago, but very like early stages. It would be very interesting. Um, I think there's like pros and cons to it uh, in, in in the same way as I guess like a European Super League, which is touted about all the time in, in kind of for like Western clubs. It would have like a such a knock-on impact on, on kinds of your smaller teams in Hungary. Like they're just completely missing out on... Um, on kind of the big stage, as it were. And I don't really know how many Hungarian teams would really get in that, um, apart from Ferenc Farage, because they're the only team where there's kind of any fan culture, I guess, and any money that they would bring to the league. But it would be really cool. So imagine if you, I mean, from a Yugoslavian perspective, if you were getting Partizan versus Dynamo Zagreb and you were getting Ferenc Varos versus Partizan on a weekly basis or whatever the rivalries that that would spur I mean it would be chaos for the police but it would be a hell of a watch for I mean if you wanted to get Western Europeans to to be interested in Eastern European football it would be a hell of a way to do it yeah definitely definitely and how important is European football to Ferenc Varos' identity we've already spoken about um, their success in the inner city Ferris Cup and uh also the European Cup Winners' Cup. But how do they see themselves as a really European club? And has qualification kind of indicated that image of themselves? Yeah, I think they do. They, I mean, they definitely have aspirations uh, and it's kind of, I guess, expectations to be in Europe every year now. Uh, I guess they've they had that under Thomas Dole too. And it's one of the reasons why he got sacked because of his lack of performance in European football after the money that's been spent 
it's kind of a Europa League spot is probably the the minimum expectation for the Ferenc Forest team now. And I think it's also vitally important to recruitment. If you're a player wanting to go to or in the region of maybe you play maybe playing in Serbia, maybe playing in Croatia. Like, why would you choose Ferenc Varos over Fop and Belgrade? Why would you choose him over Red Star? Why would you choose him over Ludogorets? Why would you choose him over Dynamo Zagreb? You have to be in European football, really, to ever kind of get those players. Um, and obviously, it's such a competitive market for these for these types of players. The money's not particularly great, especially compared to like Western football, Western European football. So, yeah, it's 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 so important. It's not just like the money now is is going to be amazing. It's fifty million pounds for qualifying for the Champions League, which doesn't maybe sound like a lot to Western European football fans, but it is massive for Hungarian football. And the balance of the league now is probably going to be distorted. Like Ferenc Varos were are already the best team by quite a distance in the league. Like, what's that going to do to the to the competitiveness of the league? Yeah, it's probably going to be a very similar situation to what's happened in with Ludogorets, where they've won the league nine times uh, in Bulgaria, or it's going to be the same with Dynamo Zagreb, where they've won the league, I don't know, 10 times or something. It, it's kind of, it could really upset the balance of the league. So in that respect, I guess it's difficult to say whether this is a good thing for Hungarian football or not. It's amazing to have the exposure on the league. It's amazing for France for us to have the exposure. It's amazing potential for them to grow massively as a football club. But in terms of competitiveness, it's going to be, it's not going to be great. And when you only have one team who make a Champions League qualification stage, then any other team with European aspirations like Fervar formerly known as Vidi, do have, like they are, they're just basically playing for second place and then hoping that they get a good Europa League draw, which they kind of got this season and ended up going out to Standard Liège um, in the in the last qualifying round. But it's so hit and miss in that in, in Europa League because if, you, if you're um, someone like Vidi, you could end up getting Tottenham in the third round, like, I don't know, Lokomotiv Plovdiv did or whatever. Like, you're going to get battered. So it's a lot easier to qualify for the Europa League if you're in the Champions League to begin with. So any team with European aspiration um, in Hungary, uh, uh, their kind of chances are now depleted. Um, so that, I guess that's the problem with, like, modern-day football. Like, it's so... I don't know. You kind of think about these things to pull teams up in the lower echelons but then you don't think about the inequality that it actually causes when you when you do but then the inequality is so high between western european f- football and eastern european football yeah it's chaos um so it's kind of catch 22 for 100 yeah and i guess you have hungarian roots you've been following hungarian football for 10 years covering it um, so you obviously have a vested interest in it um, how do you feel ahead of the group stage and um, they've obviously been drawn against some big teams maybe you could elaborate on who they've been drawn against and how you feel they can compete against them yeah it's probably it's not far off the dream draw i'd say i mean Ferenc Farris aren't going to qualify um for the next round no matter who is in the group especially champions league because obviously every team in it is decent and better than Ferenc Farris. so to be drawn against two 
heavyweights in Barcelona and Juventus is is amazing. You get Messi to to Hungary. I think he's played in Hungary once before and he actually got sent off. It was on his debut for Argentina. Really well. Yeah, really funny and really random. Um, I think he was like 17 and he uh, he was like 10 minutes into his debut or something and he got sent off and basically nothing. Vilmos von Schott, like took a stray hand to the face and went down. Yeah, like a like a sack of spuds or whatever. And um, yeah, Messi got sent off. I think that's the only time he's played in Hungary. I'm not sure if Ronaldo ever has. Um, I know he's played against Hungary. He played against Hungary a few times. No, he would have played against Hungary in, in qualification games. And he scored two against Hungary in the Euros. Just to see them two players play against Ferenc Faros and the fans are going to be allowed in as well. Um, they've moved the games to the the big stadium, the the Pushkash Ferenc, which is another new stadium I didn't even mention, which is 60,000. And I think that it's going to be 30% allowance. So it's quite a lot of hunger, uh, football fans are going to be able to see that and Ferenc Faros fans, which is really amazing. Like I didn't think that opportunity would actually come for them. So that's, that's really good. And then also Dynamo Kiev, which is Rebro's former team, obviously where Rebrov kind of made his name came to Champions League semi-final and and it's also a team where Ferenc Forest probably have a chance actually against them like Dynamo Kiev are obviously a good team they are beatable and as kind of Ferenc Forest saw um, did last season against Suska Moscow and against Espanyol they put a really good fight and they could really do the same against Dynamo Kiev if they get a, a win in their home game and then a draw away that actually and then lose the rest of the games that probably will be enough to see them through because you'd imagine that Juventus and Barcelona would both beat Dynamo Kiev home and away and then yeah it's just going to come down to those two games so I think you're playing for third place you get the excitement of the the two big boys in there um, obviously Messi and Ronaldo as well going to amazing stadiums in in Turin and and Barcelona and then um, yeah and then beatable opponent with a little bit of history with um, with Rebrov. It's, yeah, it's kind of the dream draw. Yeah, it is because, I mean, like you said, the two greatest pairs the last 20 years, you could say, definitely last 10 years, mm. um, both coming to Hungary. And then also, obviously, Dynamo Kiev, uh, who beat them in the 1975 European Cup Winners' Cup final. Yeah. Um, so definitely an interesting dynamic there. Um, and I would definitely be interested to see how they get on, for sure. Uh, and how do you feel about Hungarian football going forward in general? Are you positive about it? Do you feel it's going in the right place? Obviously, we spoke about the kind of complicated um, injections of enthusiasm that's been put into it from various sources. But do you feel like it's moving in the right direction? Yeah, I definitely do. Um, I think there's a few caveats there. Like, but in terms of like the, the right direction to begin with, uh, teams are qualifying for for European football, which didn't used to happen um in especially the kind of the turn of um well probably six years ago it was kind of very uncommon and now this is the third season in a row where we've seen hungarian participation in, in at least a europa league group stage and, and obviously now champions league and it's only the third time hungarian teams ever qualified for the champions league and it doesn't feel like it's out of a bolt out of the blue whereas when the bretson qualified in 2009 that really did it was kind of a really lucky draw that they got and they were a good team but they they didn't beat dynamo zagreb they didn't beat celtic on the way and then in terms of like our playing staff i guess at the moment um on an international level we've got 
one of Europe's best goalkeepers. I don't think that's a stretch to say with Peter Golacci, who made a um, Champions League semi-final with Leipzig. We've got the Leipzig captain, Willy Orban. Um, we've got one of the most exciting youngsters in world football at the moment, Dominic Soboslai. We've got a, a super, a super impressive league now, like in terms of the region. I mean, we were always kind of the whipping boys in European football and kind of the players that we would get from other regions were always the cast-offs. We were always lagging a, a lot further behind the likes of Croatia, Romania, Bulgaria, Serbia in terms of in terms of league competitiveness and and the players that we were getting in, 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 into our league. Uh, and that's definitely changed now. Like I say, it's maybe one of the richest leagues in the region. So yeah, all those things that kind of look good, uh, I guess at youth level, that's I guess where we've not seen massive improvements. I mean, obviously, like I say, we've got one of the most talented youngsters in Dominic Sobos live, but apart from that, there's very little else. And that's where you want to see, if anything, that's where you want to see the governmental money having an impact. And maybe it is a bit too early because these policies have only been in place for maybe five or six years. And with youth development, as we know, like in terms of Germany, in terms of England, uh, it took a long time for those reboots to kind of take place. Um, And I think... Bear fruit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, And I think in England, like we're only seeing that bear fruit now and and the amount of amazing players that they're, they're really seeing now and it's kind of from long ago kind of plans that they implemented and I think the same with Germany like what was it 2001 I think they really like ripped up ripped, um, yeah I think it was 2000 after when they went out of the Euros five one by England yes yeah yeah exactly yeah and I think yeah, I think that's when they kind of like ripped it up and then they ended up winning the World Cup in like 2010. So it's like a 10-year cycle almost. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think it's too early for us to judge like Orban and the spending on academies at this point. Like from what I see, I think they're making really good improvements. Like the fan court, the, 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 I guess the intelligentsia of football, uh, of Hungarian football analysts is really impressive the way that kind of Hungarians looking at the game, that has always been an amazing thing. I imagine that Jonathan Wilson spoke about that in part one. Hungarians have always looked at football in a different manner. They've always kind of tra- treated it as an academic pursuit rather than a uh, passion or, or, or something fun to do. Uh, yeah, a key element what he was speaking about was um, like how football talk developed in coffee shops mm. of Budapest as opposed to pubs. So instead of standing up in a pub with a, a pint of lag in your hand, you were discussing it over a coffee on a table and you're drawing diagrams, diagrams and moving yeah. and paper around. So yeah, it was, it's definitely a very kind of intellectual football culture. Yeah, exactly. And that, and obviously that was a long time ago we're talking now, but that still exists in, in, in a certain minority, like Hungarian culture and society has been through a lot since that, since then, especially through communism where, that kind of culture has maybe been stamped out a little bit, but it still exists. And, and I, th- I think there's there's a real desire and a real lust to kind of bring that bring that hung, uh, Hungarian football back. And I think it is it's slowly developing. Like football is becoming more of a priority. Like football had no priority in Hungarian society after communism fell in in the early nineties. I think that's really coming back to the fore now. And 
like I'm not a particular Orban fan, but I think that um, what he's done has had a, a significant impact on Hungarian football. And I think it's maybe too early to say whether it's worked, but like my personal opinion is that it's working. And I think that Hungarian football is, is on a really, really good track at the moment. But obviously that because it's built on his political ideals, if he loses an election... Then that, or he just gets bored of football, which is probably not going to happen because he loves he a, he actually loves football. The bubble is waiting to burst at some point. That's the only worry. But um, if kind of Hungarian football can get to a state where it is kind of self sufficient before that bubble bursts, then um, maybe it is sustainable for the long term. Well, I guess we'll wait and see. Absolutely, it'll certainly be interesting to see. Uh, but listen, Thomas, thanks a million for coming on. I really enjoyed the conversation. I think. All of our listeners will appreciate the kind of introduction to Hungarian football that we've gotten over part one and part two. Um, where can we find you on Twitter? Or do you have any work you can plug at the moment? Or? Yeah, so uh, you can find me on Twitter at Thomas Mortimer. Um, that's Thomas with a Z and no H. And you can read my stuff at HungarianFootball.com. Brilliant, brilliant. And I'm Alan Feely, your host as always, coming, coming to you from Seville. In the south of Spain, you can find me at Azulfili on Twitter. Um, but just want to thank Thomas once again. Thanks, Thomas, for that. I really appreciate it. Cool. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. And I'm sure if we have ever had any opportunities in Hungarian football again, you'll be the first one that we'll call. Um, and to the listeners, just thanks for listening to us if we're both part one and part two. Um, I hope you enjoyed it and found it educational. And uh, we'll see you next week. Bye.